Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. It was Ed and Scott Cash with their band, Bring the Kingdom. They led us in worship at our leader committee weekend back in January, and we had the privilege of hearing from John Vickery, Executive Vice President of Young Life Field Ministries. This is his second of three talks that he gave, and in this one, he does hit a little bit about prayer, which is really cool. In fact, he does a little exercise at the end that I thought we'd keep in this podcast so you could actually do the prayer uh, with us. So anyway, enjoy talk number two from John Vickery. Thank you very much. Um, it was worth the trip just to come and worship with you. So look forward to more in the morning. Hope you had a great day. Enjoyed the beautiful day in Charlotte. Um, last night I introduced my family. Actually just told you a little bit about them. If you missed last night, it was a little bit more of a formal introduction. Showed a picture of my family at a uh, wedding. We were all dressed nicely. Michael and Banner are in their bride and groom unis. So this, this evening, I thought I would introduce you to my family in a little bit more informal way. This Christmas, uh, probably weeks, maybe months before Christmas came, I told Carol, I have an idea of what I want a gift I want to give to all of our kids and their wives. I told her about it, and she said, really? I said, yeah, I promise, this is going to be great. So Christmas came, we opened all our gifts. After we opened all our gifts, I said to all of them, I have two more gifts for you. We're going to tell you about those on Friday night. So Friday night we were at my son's house and playing games and just having fun. And after that was over, I said, okay, I passed out an envelope with the name for each of them, all, all uh, six of them, sons and wives. So, okay, the count of three, I want you to open this gift. They opened up their envelopes. My oldest daughter-in-law, Mish, screamed like a little girl who got the present she always wanted. Because inside it was a ticket for each one for goat yoga. Yeah, you heard that right, goat yoga. So the next morning, she screamed. Her husband looked at me, and, and it says for an hour. He goes, for an hour? So here's a picture of our family uh, having doing goat yoga together. Again, Michael on the left, Caroline in the middle, Reagan to the right of Carol, uh, Clark, her, her husband, and then J.C. and our our granddaughter, Ellie, if you have a few hours, I'll show you pictures of Ellie. Be glad to. And then uh, Banner and Mish on the bottom with goats on them. Michael's holding, holding a goat. Uh, so you walk in, and there are like 35 people there. This evidently is a big deal. Who knew? And about 35 people were in a tent outside. It's kind of cold that morning. And the lady introduces what's going to happen. She says, the goats are going to come in in a minute. And they played some music for goats to enter into. And... Uh, and the goats came in, they've got little goat unis on, and so we're all standing there kind of excited about what's about to happen, and she says, she says, uh, hey, by the way, the goats, they will climb on you if you're in your yoga position. We had no idea what that meant, and uh, if you're yoga, the goats will climb on you. Don't, don't be afraid. said, now, sometimes the goats will poop on you, but don't, don't worry about that. It's just a little easy to clean up, and sometimes it doesn't happen much, and sometimes they'll pee on you. My wife immediately went, I'm out. Not having a goat pooper pee on me. And she and Reagan watched. But here, here's what happened next. Here's Michael doing goat yoga. There you go. The, and then uh, our granddaughter, I mean, our, 
yeah, granddaughter Ellie, who's two years old, didn't actually have goats climb on her. She loved the goats until one climbed on her daddy. So this is Ellie trying to push the goat off her daddy. So anyway, it was a fun, fun moment. Thank you for those pictures. Uh, fun moment, great memory as a family. But to be honest, it was a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable having a goat climb on your back or on your neck. Uh, it didn't feel quite right. Uh, have you ever been in that kind of place where it's uncomfortable and awkward, doesn't feel quite right? I have two most embarrassing moments in my lifetime. I can tell you about one, so I'll tell you about that one. Uh, Carol and I had just been married. We were living in Texas, going to a small church. In fact, so small it met in the, the chapel of a funeral home. Interesting place to have church. And The week of this particular uh, Sunday, the pastor called me earlier that week, and he said, hey, at the worship service this Sunday, would you be willing to come up and say a prayer before I preach? Well, you have to say yes to that request from your pastor. Like, I'd be honored to. And so the time came, to be honest, I was a little bit nervous. I was in my seat. I got up. I went up front. I didn't want to say something stupid or trip or fall. It was the serious part after I prayed. And so I made my way to the front and said a prayer. I don't really know what I said. I just hopefully didn't say anything stupid. Got back to my seat. Was kind of relieved that that part was over and was wanting to enjoy the rest of the service. Put my arm around my wife and kind of breathed a big sigh of relief. And right as I did, someone was tapping me on my shoulder. I looked around, and to my absolute shock, there in the row behind me is my wife. True story. I had, I had two quick thoughts. My first quick thought was, why did you move? Like she was playing some kind of, I looked at her like, what are you doing? Why, why did you move? And she looked back at me like, I've been here the whole time. And my second thought was, I wonder who had my arm around. I looked and there was a young college girl next to me. True story. I don't know what she came to church praying for that morning. I'm pretty sure by the look on her face, it wasn't me. <laughs> she had this. And so I introduced myself to my new friend, and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to go back and sit with my wife. And uh, she seemed real okay with that. And so I tried to sneak back into the row behind me because, again, the pastor was up front preaching, trying to not disrupt things. And I tried to get up and slip back into the row. And by this time, the whole back half of the church had watched what I'd done. So they were, they were like kids who aren't supposed to be laughing, but they can't help themselves. So it totally disruptive, so uncomfortable. And maybe you found yourself in places like that where you think, I just don't know if this is the right place for me. I'm, I'm out of place here. Last night, if you missed it, we talked about what does it mean to say yes to young life? When you said yes to being on staff or a committee person or a volunteer, what did you say yes to? What we said you said yes to is a journey, a trip with Jesus. We looked at Mark 5 when Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. On the way, they went through a storm into Mark 4, but they had a destination in mind. They went all the way across the lake, and if you add up the man hours and the expense and the time and the effort, it is an inefficient trip. It doesn't make sense. They go through all of that for one man to meet Jesus. A young life sometimes is very inefficient. The hours you spend, the amount you put in, the trouble you go through, the storms you overcome to get to one kid, you think, I'm not sure it's worth it. But dare to ask the parents of that kid, they'll tell you it's priceless. But maybe you're going, I'm not sure I'm in the right seat. I'm not sure I should be on this trip. I'm not sure God 
really knew what he was doing when he brought me here. I don't know if I fit here. So I'm going to look together at what is it God's called us to? What's he want us to do? Why has he brought us on this trip together? I want to invite you to come on another trip with me. Uh, Jesus goes on this trip, not with all of his disciples, but just with three of them. It's the three most likely closest to Jesus. It's Peter, James, and John. They're the three that Jesus invited inside uh, when he raised the little girl back to life. They're the three that he said, come with me, when he went to the garden to pray and said, please be with me. So they had this intimate relationship with Jesus. And I believe if you ask the disciples after Jesus uh, had died and resurrected, what's your favorite day ever with Jesus? Number one would have to have been the resurrection day. Number two might have been this day for Peter, James, and John. It's Mark chapter 9. Listen how their day begins. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. Peter, James, and John go on a mountain climb with Jesus. It doesn't tell us if he told them that morning, if he woke up and said, hey, come on, guys, let's go climb the mountain. Or maybe the day before, but it was just Peter, James, and John climbing a high mountain. Now, why would he do that? Why would he take them on top of a mountain? If you've been to Young Life camps before, sometimes we climb mountains. We get up on the top and look at this incredible view. There are pictures of J.D. on the top of mountains at Young Life camp. Why, why, why did he take them there? You don't have to ask the question very long. Look at Luke's translation, and it says he took Peter, James, and John on a mountain to pray. If you follow Jesus, he takes you to places that make you pray. If you follow Jesus, he'll take you to places that make you pray. Have you ever heard the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle? You ever heard that? You ever said it? Would you promise me from this night forward you'll never say it again? It's a lie. It's not true. If you read the same Bible I read, you'll see over and over and over, God seems to regularly give people more than they can handle. He calls inadequate people to do impossible things. Here's a short list. Abraham, I want you to be the father of many nations. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. Abraham was 100 years old and was without children. Well, he had a younger wife. She was just 90. Moses, I want you to bring my people out of Egypt, a million people. Moses was 80. Moses was a murderer. David, there's a guy who's taunting my people. I want you to take him out. David had every right to go, have you seen Goliath lately? Joshua, go take down Jericho. It's a huge fortified city. I don't know how to do that. Go march around it seven times and blow a trumpet and scream. Are you kidding me? Peter, come. Walk on water. Disciples, go into all the world. You, reach every kid. No, God always calls us to things. that are, He always gives us more than we can handle. Ask the Gibbs family if God gives more than they can handle. Why does he do it? It's his gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, 
far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired even of life. Ever felt that way? Under great pressure, far beyond your ability to endure, so you despair even of life. But then he says this, this happened. Why? This happened so we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If you feel like you're in ministry and you go, this is more than I can handle, you're in a great place. It's consistent with everybody God calls. He puts them way over their head so they'll scream for him like they've never screamed for him before. God will always take you to places that make you pray. Peter, James, and John on the mountain praying. And watch what happens that gets their attention. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Hey, this is a moment you bring out your iPhone, you start snapping it. Jesus, as they're praying, Luke says his face begins to change. And he turns dazzling white. It's a moment when just for a moment, the curtain got pulled back and humanity could see divinity. Jesus, fully God, for a moment, they could see Jesus as fully God, dazzling white. You'd be snapping your camera. And as if that's not enough, suddenly Moses and Elijah are there. The two, the number one and two greatest people in the Jewish faith, Moses and Elijah, are there talking with Jesus. Let me talk about a moment. A spectacular, incredible moment. So Peter speaks up. No surprise, Peter always speaks up first. And he says this. He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He was so frightened. Another translation says, he didn't know what to say, so he said. You know people like that? That prove they don't know what to say by speaking? And Peter, he just said, let's just, this is awesome. Let's just build three tabernacles is the word. One for you, one for Moses, one for, let's just stay here. Let's just soak this up. This is a spectacular moment. If you've had this experience, it happens all the time. We bring kids to camp and we tell them it'll be the best week of your life, and it is. But sometimes kids are coming from places that are more awful than we can imagine. And it's that night before the last night. When they begin to act out or they begin to say, can I just stay here? I don't want to go back home. This is the way life's supposed to be. I don't want to go back home. Can I just stay here? So Peter said, let's just stay here. Listen to how God answers. And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. A cloud appears. Suddenly they are covered in a cloud. They're enveloped by fog. You ever driven when there's dense fog? What happens when you do that? You're driving along, suddenly you enter, and the fog gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And the thicker it gets, what do you do? If you're like me, the first thing I do is turn off my radio. I don't know why, but I turn it off. And then I lean forward. It's like all my senses are heightened. I hold on to the steering wheel tighter than I ever have before. You ever felt like you're in a fog? Like you don't know where God went? You were trying your best to follow Jesus, but suddenly it seems like he's missing. He's vanished. You don't know where he is. What if it's a gift from God to you? What if the moments when you wonder where God is is his gift? 
What if he hopes you'll turn down the noise? What if he hopes you'll lean in? What if he hopes all your senses get heightened? What if he hopes you hold on to him tighter than you ever have before? What if it's God's gift? So a cloud envelops them, and then a voice speaks. It's the most spectacular part of this passage. It's not the transfiguration. It's not Moses and Elijah. The most spectacular thing in this passage, in fact, the most spectacular thing God wants to do in your life is have you hear his voice. God speaks. There's only a few times in the New Testament God speaks audibly. This is one of them. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The most spectacular thing God wants to do in your life, in your ministry, is help you hear his voice, to know his son, and to follow Jesus. And when they followed Jesus, look where it took them, as they were coming down the mountain. Jesus doesn't let us stay at Windy Gap. He brings us down the mountain. And watch what they find when they get down the mountain. Verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they ran with, were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, Jesus said. And the man in the crowd came forward and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Suddenly, they leave the mountain, and they're in the middle of a religious argument. If you follow Jesus, he always takes you right in the middle of hurting people. Every time. He doesn't let you stay in the mountain. He takes you right in the middle of hurting people. And this situation... They're in the middle of a religious argument. It's the worst kind of argument, a religious argument. There are people in our world today that are desperate for Jesus, and what they walk into is a religious argument. Imagine this dad's day. Somehow somehow that day before or morning he woke up and said, I've had it. I can't do anything to help my son. I've tried everything. I've heard about this Jesus. I'm going to take him to Jesus. And he brings his boy out. It's risky to bring him out in public. He has all kinds of convulsions and fits and seizures, and it, it's, it's embarrassing and out of control, but he's bringing him out publicly. And he finds not Jesus but his followers. And somewhere he must have said, can you help my boy? And next thing you know, they tried and couldn't, and then it turns into an argument. We have a world that says, can you help me? I'm confused about my sexuality. And it turns into a religious argument. Can you help me? I'm confused about what life is all about. I'm confused about what it looks like to be good enough for God, and it turns into a religious argument. Jesus says, what are you arguing about? This desperate man who'd become disillusioned said, I brought you my son. Ask your disciples to drive it out, and they could not. Listen to the heart of God. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I do wonder if there are times when Jesus would look up to the Father and roll his eyes. I think this must be one of those, like, really? Come on. Like this, this, is, this is your best? But then he says this. He says, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. That's what he says to you. That's what young life is all about. Bring the boy to me. Bring the girl to me. 
What we're about is not bringing boys and girls to ourselves or to Young Life or to T-shirts or to camps. We're about bringing boys and girls to Jesus. Bring the boy to me, Jesus says. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, foamed at the mouth, and rolled around. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, would you please take pity on us and help us? If, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. This man, desperate man, says, he's out of control, Jesus. Could you please help us? If you can do anything, he said, what do you mean if? Everything is possible for him who believes. And the man says this wonderful phrase. The boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ever believe and not believe at the same time? You feel like you're full of faith and doubt simultaneously? Is that possible? It's true here. This father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ken Schultz in the seminar today said it. The Great Commission, Matthew 20, 28, says, and they came and worshiped him, but some doubted. Have you ever worshiped and doubted in the same moment? Thomas, he gets a bad rap. It's called Doubting Thomas. You know, Jesus returns and he shows himself to the other disciples, and they tell Thomas, and Thomas says, it's not good enough for me. I, I've got to see for myself. And Jesus does not rebuke him for his doubt. He meets him in it. Thomas isn't doubting Jesus. He's asking for something more. He's longing for more of Jesus. And Jesus meets him and says, here, come, see. I do believe help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked and convulsed and violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Lift him to his feet, and he stood up. I love this picture of Jesus. He sees the crowd coming, and he rebukes the spirit. If I'm honest, if it had been me, I would have waited. I'd have made sure all the crowd got there. Everybody had a good seat. Everybody could see what I was about to do. He knew he was about to heal the boy. Wouldn't this have been a great moment to wait till everybody could see? What I love about the heart of God, proven in Jesus, he doesn't see crowds. He sees people. And he cares more about this boy than he does about the crowd. Young Life is all about getting crowds of kids to come together. I hope your Young Life Club gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That there are crowds of kids around you. But please, this is not about the crowd. This is about the individual boy, the individual girl being brought to Jesus. After they'd gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And we tried. What was wrong? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind only comes out by prayer. So it begs the question, who is praying in this account? The only thing I can come up with is the only prayer you can see here is the prayer of the Father. I do believe, help my unbelief. If you can do anything, that's a prayer. It's a desperate prayer from a dad. But the more important question is, who is not praying? 
Lord, why couldn't we drive this one out? It only comes out by prayer, meaning you weren't praying. How could they try to heal someone without praying? A few chapters before, you see them sent out, and they have great success in ministry. They come back and report, and Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like, like light from heaven. People were healed. They'd had success. Is it possible that success made them think they could do this without praying? It's my greatest fear for young life, that we think we could do this without Jesus, that we would depend on our charm or our gifts or our philosophy or our history or our tradition or our camps or our humor, you name it, and we'd forget to pray. It is possible to do young life and do ministry without praying. But ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. Let me say it again. Ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. What's the most distinctive thing in the life of Jesus? If you could ask him to teach you anything, what would you ask you? Me? I'd say, hey, teach me to walk on water. Like, that'd be awesome at Pool Olympics. Or would you teach me to raise the dead? People I'd love to bring back. The only thing they asked Jesus to teach them was, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Something must have been so distinctive about the way Jesus prayed that that's what they said, teach us that. What's most distinctive about young life in your, your club? What's most distinctive about your young life team, your young life area? What's most distinctive about the Carolinas region? What if you were the Young Life Club or area or region that taught the mission how to pray? What if we become beating down your door saying, teach us how to pray? We need you to teach us how to pray. These kind only come out by prayer. We're going to end this evening doing what Jesus told us to do. Bring the boy to me. Bring the girl to me. We're going to end this evening by praying. So I'd like you to join me in prayer, and I'll lead you as we pray together. Would you begin, um, and please feel free to do this out loud, would you name the places God has called you? Would you call out the names of schools in your community that God's called you or communities God's called you to? Just name out schools and cities. This is our prayer. God, help us in these places. Hear our prayer. It's okay if you talk over each other. Would you now name the places we're not? 
cities near you without Young Life, schools in your community that don't have Young Life, would you just call these out to God? Now, would you do what Jesus told us to do? Would you bring the boy and bring the girl to Jesus? I hope every one of you has a name of a kid on your heart this evening, and maybe it's multiple names. But would you cry out to God the names of kids that are on your heart this evening? Lord, hear our prayer. Father, we admit we are so far over our head here. We're so beyond our abilities and our gifts. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that you've taken us to places that make us scream for help. Thank you for the desperate prayers prayed by parents, prayed by kids. Thank you for the people that prayed for us long before we had a clue about who you were. Lord, for all the kids we name, for all the kids that are on our heart, would you draw them to Jesus? And for all the kids we don't know yet, names we didn't name yet, would you help us get to them as quickly as we can? For parents who are desperate, for kids who are holding on, Lord, help us bring them to you. Lord, would you teach us to pray? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty. Well, thanks so much for listening to this talk from John Vickery. We hope to have some more good content coming your way soon. So hit subscribe. We've got some good stuff coming.